0: Welcome to The Intersect, the official podcast of Fanbase. I'm Mary, a
1: Creighton practitioner and infertile adoptive mother. A 12-year late endometriosis diagnosis inspired me to educate women of all ages about the importance of authentic and restorative
0: healthcare for women. I'm Emily, a Marquette user, wife and mama to two NFP surprises, now with secondary infertility, who personally knows the importance of honesty and vulnerability when sharing fertility awareness. With a range of experiences from our different fertility backgrounds, we engage in authentic conversations about all things fertility awareness. Welcome to the place where science and real life intersect. We're so glad you're here. And we're back for round three of this sex episode. The round, the third round, and the final round. And today, Mary and I are just going to kind of just talk about our own personal experiences. So in the last two episodes, you know, we were really heavy on the ideological side of things, but you know, we are where science and real life intersect. Although this is more of like where theology and real life intersect. So (laughs) it's more kind of a mixture of everything. Yeah. But yeah, we just wanted to share kind of our own personal experiences, especially because a lot of what we were talking about was more of the extreme side of things. And we have had kind of our own personal experiences with purity culture, more, I would say, interactions when it came to contraceptive mentality. And so we just wanted to take time to talk about that because that has been part of what's informed you know so much of what we've done and now that I say that out loud I'm like maybe we should have opened with this
1: (laughs) well no now everybody kind of understands like last time you said it was like educational informative and now it's how it's applicable in real life yeah I think
0: it makes sense yeah because a lot of you know like we've said if you were if you were born and raised in the United States like you've been you've been touched by purity culture, and actually, you know, true to form, we're recording this on Wednesday of NFP week. True to form, contraceptive mentality folks came out on the social medias and said what they usually say, and it just you know I started realizing I was like, wow, contraceptive mentality is actually very similar to purity culture in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot a lot of ways and i also remembered that i had made grandiose promises of talking about what jansenism was and what that has to do with all of this and i never did so (laughs) maybe maybe at some point in this episode i should i should touch on that if not if we do fail to cover it i will include some resources in the or we'll include some resources in the show notes and since you
1: since you brought it up about seeing a lot of stuff on social media, I think it's worth pointing out that like uh, the stuff that I have seen seems to invoke fear. And I think that's worth just pointing out like, yes, living our Catholic faith is hard. Um, It's certainly not always easy, but it shouldn't be pushed in the sense of like fearfulness. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be living out our lives in fear. Right. Like Emily has explained, if you follow her total wine page, there's documents, the church teachings are out there. They're plain, like you can read them yourselves and let the Holy spirit lead you. And there, it's just, we shouldn't be having this conversation, you know, based on fear that's, there's no room for that in our faith. So I just want to point that out.
0: Jesus was pretty explicit saying multiple times, do not be afraid, yeah. So you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's interesting to bring that up because again, that's another crossover that I see with purity culture is that human bodies and human sexuality is approached from a place of fear and shame. And, you know, again, that's a product of the fall. That's not how it was from the beginning and yeah, it just, mm. anyway. All right. So let's, I I don't want to make this, we're going to make this another educational episode. I know. Personal stories. We are dish in the dirt today.
1: Um, Well, you start us off, Emily, tell us about (laughs) your very interesting
0: story that I just learned for the first time a few days ago. I know. As we were planning (laughs) these episodes, I told Mary, I was like, I have a secret. It's not really a secret, (laughs) but it's just not something that I ever thought I would I don't know it was just funny but one of the things with um purity culture that we kind of talked about I think we talked about it's only been a week since we recorded that episode and I've already forgot what we said although it already has almost a hundred listens and we just posted it yesterday yeah sex episodes it's clickbait I knew it would work anyway (laughs) I um so I grew up in South Louisiana which is largely Catholic especially culturally um, but me and or my mom worked did some work for um, kind of with and then tangentially with people who are definitely evangelical um, and purity culture is very strong with the evangelical faith movement and I remember I was a f- freshman in high school, I think, and they were hosting a purity ball. Now, for those of you who don't know what a purity ball is, <laughs> it's as terrifying as it sounds. Um, well, not as terrifying as it sounds, at least not for me. Uncomfortable <laughs> as it sounds. Uncomfortable. Yeah. There we go. It can get terrifying. I've heard versions like that, you know, again, everything that we've talked about There's a spectrum of the experience here and I was definitely on like the less terrifying end, but essentially what a purity ball is, it's, it's fathers take their daughters and the whole point of this is for daughters to entrust their virginity and purity to their fathers for him to protect until they get married.
1: Which if your face just made like a, "Ah." (laughs)
0: what?
1: Sound, yeah, yes. that's accurate.
0: It's yes, your your whatever your face is, that whatever grimace you just donned is appropriate. And I don't, in my parents' defense, I don't think they fully understood exactly right. Right it was. Right. Um, I know my dad was kind of weird about it because my dad it, it totally did not jive with my broader experience of my relationship with my dad um, yeah I wasn't was grimacing never, at your
1: parents I was just the I know, idea you know the, of the idea yeah and I just
0: feel the need to defend my parents for a second yeah, anyway yeah. <laughs> I understand <laughs> I know, I'm whatever. but no like just for context this was like looking back this was very out of character um because my dad he was like he was like look he, he told me he was like I just figured. You're going to leave my home one day. I just need to give you I need to raise you to have your own BS meter so that when you go out and you meet guys, you can deal with them. That was that go. was my dad's approach. So anybody who's familiar with a purity ball is, here's that and it's like, "Well, what the heck were you doing in a purity ball?" It was the consolation prize for me that year cuz my parents wouldn't let me go to homecoming. Yeah. So anyway, can't have a date? Well, you can go on a date with Dan. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, not um, really the same excitement that going to
1: like a school dance brings, not quite, but
0: okay, not quite, not quite. Yeah, sort of missed the mark. But the purity ball that I went to, I've heard that with purity balls, sometimes what'll happen is, is like there's literally like a contract type of thing that girls mm-hmm. will sign that they give to their dad that they will not have sex until they're married. Um, fathers will give their daughters purity rings um as part of this ceremony thing what it's just not a up-
1: promise you're making with your father that's it's just right. like it's not right
0: it's not no and like i said my dad had the right approach he was like my job is to equip you to go out in the world and be confident and secure and you know, deal with whatever comes your way, and I 100% have your back if you need it. But you're gonna be going out in the world; and that's your job. So, anyway, so yeah, it was. Not, now that I'm like talking this out, I'm like, geez, yeah, what the heck were we doing anyway? But what we did as part of the ceremony was there was like this big, huge, like wooden cross at the front of the conference room. I don't even think it was a ballroom; it's like a conference room. And all the girls got white roses and then we went and laid them like our dads escorted us up to the cross and then we laid the white rose down at the foot of the cross. So at least it was like the connotation of I'm entrusting my purity to Jesus and my dad is there with me as part of this. It wasn't like giving it straight to my dad yes yeah, still very creepy still very yeah. weird still very what it was excuse me um <laughs> I mean yeah. you know, our fathers do typically
1: walk us down the aisle and they're you know when right? we get married and there's that nice symbolism of you Which know is giving Protestant. you it's over
0: um oh, so it shows how much I know <laughs> yeah no I found this out so we actually had some friends of ours quick tangent who got married um and they both like husband and wife, fiancés, like the Catholic tradition is you both walk in down the aisle together, not holding hands, um, because it's a sign that you are entering into your marriage of your own free will, which is, you know, like if you are not receiving the sacrament out of your own free will, it's not a valid sacrament. And so the father's walking daughters down the aisle is this vestige of you actually like had arranged marriage, marriages, and you kind of had to force your daughter into the marriage, right? That type of thing. So it's actually a very Protestant idea. I had no idea. Um, well, it also
1: reminds me of that extreme story you gave in the purity culture episode, where like the father they like groomed her to marry uh-huh. her off with the father-in-law, and. Yeah. That thing, not to say that uh, that's happening all the time, but that's just what it reminded me of,
0: right? Now, it's not to say like my dad walked me down the aisle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew like what I'm his only daughter, my dad, and I have a very close relationship. And it's like for all of you Catholics here, we're like, oh my gosh, did I sin by letting my dad walk me down the aisle? No, no, please calm down. I know somebody is thinking that, no, no. No, <laughs> you just like the, the Catholic church understands that this is like yeah. a cultural it's a cultural it's like thing it could be a sweet thing it's fine right right and so it's like it's not that big of a deal but traditionally in Catholic weddings husband and wife like they would enter the church as fiancés, not touching but I have around. never heard of I had no idea
1: Y'all yep. no, I,
0: know. I, I had never heard of it until we saw our friends do it. And I was like, whoa, what the heck? They're like walking in and they were like, yeah, no, this is actually like I, I you're like, you did something <laughs> wrong. They're like, no, we did something traditional. Like, does somebody really hate her dad? Anyway. Oh, um man. Yeah, so um I thought that was that's just an interesting thing to note. Um, that, but yeah, anyway, so we did the, we did the purity ball, but that's like the only thing I remember really from the purity ball. I think we danced a little bit and there was like dinner and that type of stuff. No booze, of course. Um, of course, I was a freshman in high school. And so- also, <laughs> I want to make sure we mention, like, father-daughter
1: dances are fine. This is not saying anything against, like, a fun night that's special for, like, a father and his daughter to mm-hmm. treasure. They slow dance. Like, we're not, this is not, this is something different. This is, this is something very, very, different. very different than that.
0: There is an agenda. It's not yeah. just fathers and daughters spending sweet, quality time together this has an agenda and it's, you know, it really robs, like, if you think about it, like on the ex, you know, we can take it to the extreme. Like if my father is the custodian of my purity and my virginity, I have no control. I have no autonomy. I have no sense of my identity apart from what my dad gives me. Right. Which again, was not what happened in my case but if you look at what that sets up the type of relationship that that sets up that's kind of what it tends towards I also Um, can
1: can see and not not that this was not the case in your situation but like almost kind of another situation where it's just that fear, like, I almost have this sense of like, if I were to leave that thinking like, okay, anytime I'm with a guy, like my dad is like, is he watching? Like, is he here? Like, right. like just right. that fear of like, I can't do this because my father was here with me. And like, I gave, I pledge my virginity to him. Like that right. is not ordered. Right. Correctly. Right. <laughs> so I could well, see how that it, could, like it- could cause a lot of confusion in a girl as she grows up.
0: Yeah. Fear about what her dad's going to think, but also fear of not getting his approval about who she dates, Yeah, you know? Cause yeah. I, I, I knew people, um, <clears throat> like young women who were like, in order for a guy to date her or to hold her hand or to give her a kiss, she wanted the guy to go to her dad for permission. And I'm just like, yeah. to kiss her. Like any contact or dating or anything, right. like right. dad need to give permission. You
1: don't ultimately want your saving sex for marriage to have anything to do with your father. You want to do it because it's <laughs> the loving thing to do for yourself and your spouse. So it just makes it confusing, I think.
0: Well, it also just kind of makes it a little more like the three become one flesh, not the two, right. which is just awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say so. You know, I know polyamory is a thing now, but let's not make it incestuous. Um, Anyway. um, Yeah. So that was one of my kind of like pinnacle moments, but yeah, just like, even in more subtle ways, like I was certainly affected by the whole women's bodies are bad type of mentality. Like you need to cover your body. Like there was just this Up until recently, and I really started to kind of parcel this out, I realized just how obsessed I was, not like, or just, I I wouldn't allow myself to even think about buying a certain item of clothing because, oh my gosh, that's going to show this part. And what does that mean? And it's just, I don't know. I I thought about it. I was just like, again, it's fear-based. There was no freedom it was just I'm approaching my body as something that is bad, something that needs to be covered. But also it was like kind of self-obsessive. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, like everybody if I go out wearing this, everybody is gonna be staring at my boobs.
1: That's like a preoccupation. All is gonna with, notice. Like a but. preoccupation with your body parts. Is that yes. what you're saying?
0: Yes. It yeah. created this like this fear that if i went out wearing certain things that oh my gosh this is all people are going to notice this is all they're going to see and i can't wear this because you know i don't want you know i want people to look at my face i want people to see this whole and I, and i really started kind of unpacking and again to use the buzzword deconstructing <laughs> can i say that without people immediately wanting to gag and or having some kind of reaction i don't know I know it's kind of a buzzword right now, but just, you know, really thinking about thinking about my body in authentic terms. And, you know, I started reading Theology of the Body and this idea, you know, and again, kind of what we were talking about in the very first episode that we did for this mini-series, that the body was good, that originally the body was made and it communicates who we are right to a very large degree. And so having this sense of my body is bad. is like, well, I'm, I'm hating something that something beautiful, something good that God made. Right. And so there's, you know, we feel that as like a tension and as a war. And I think that's why there's such a huge kickback against that right now. And again, like it does come out as a pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. You know, some people can be like, Well, I'm going to wear as little clothing as possible. And like, you still have to give me respect. And I think this is where, you know, the both and has to come in. It's like we all need to have both a sense of our own dignity and also a respect for the dignity of others. And yes, it's absolutely reflected in how we dress and how we talk. Everybody's thinking the M word right now modesty. Mm. I'm, not going to talk about that word. I I can't stand that word. Anyway, I've gotten to the point where it's just like the word itself is like, what does it it, even mean anymore? Yeah. It's like you hear it so many times. I know. I don't know. Um, it's so, it's so used and abused and, and nobody really understands what it means. I think it really is just like that you wear, you know, the prairie dresses that were big at target recently. Like why? I don't know, but (laughs) Did you see that trend? Uh, uh, well, I feel
1: like I see the prairie type dresses a lot. Yeah, so I don't... yeah
0: they're they're big right now. And apparently, yeah. you know, I mean, like that's, if, if we well, wanna... they can be really
1: cute. I mean, they
0: well, they can Andy. be cute. But when that is like, you know, this is the only way to dress if you're a woman, oh, you know? Yeah, no,
1: like, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. No, like, thanks. I'll, you'll get me all day on that. Don't even. I,
0: know. I will wear but... my shorts and I will show my shoulders in summer. Thank you. Very and I will much. wear my skinny jeans and my high heels. Thank you very much. I know. Sorry, Gen <laughs> Z. We still wear skinny jeans.
1: <laughs> oh, that, that <laughs> well, that's not a style. Okay. Great. Anyway. People. <laughs> but it shows, again, shows now how we're much controversial. I know. But now we are controversial. Um, we lose, I think. And I had a little bit similar to this in the sense that, like, we we don't cover our bodies because they're bad. And that's the message right. that often gets communicated. We cover our parts of our bodies because they're so precious.
0: Right. And because we live in a fallen world and because we don't, we have lost that intrinsic respect for the dignity of the other person. And so there is this covering that, you know, and I, you know, I think part of me would like to think that the rebellion against that is because we know this was not what we were made for. Although I don't know, I I can't imagine just like walking around totally naked in the world, like just as a matter of just basic, like I'm thinking about sweating, thinking about, you know, I don't know. I'm just like, something needs to just kind of keep that stuff in place. I don't know. That's just me. (laughs) Clothes are
1: practical. I mean, they (laughs) protect your skin, they keep you from getting hot and cold and sunburned. So yeah, clothes are good.
0: but maybe, like in a perfect world, it would just be seventy-two degrees all the time, and we'd be fine. I don't know. Yeah, I would love. Uh, that. <laughs> maybe Give that's be The seventy-two degrees, please. What would have happened if we hadn't have left Eden, and we had, like, you know, see, I, I, w- I would imagine we would still have seasonal weather. Like, what would we do with yeah, that? I think time? seasons are good. I know seasons are great. Like everything's cyclical, and like has. I think that's just kind of the natural part of things. But like. Yeah, what being naked in the snow? Like I don't know how that works anyway. Musings for another day. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it, you know, I think that um that body shaming that, you know, it's so kind of it's subtle. And that's what kind of makes it so insidious is that until I didn't realize how obsessed I was with what I wore and how I looked and how self-critical I was of my body and all this type of stuff until I, you know, started talking about fertility awareness and started getting into this and, and trying to develop this love and appreciation for my body. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Um, we're not exactly on the greatest of terms, apparently (laughs) (laughs) like, whoa, And for me, like, especially now, I know a lot of women experience this, there is, it's not, it's not entirely so much for physical, like appearance reason, although I'm in my third trimester. So it's starting to be, that. but with pregnancy is like this, you know, your body is changing rapidly. And like, I really started to have some big insecurities come up that were rooted in the stuff that I had before and really started to notice and started to pay attention to them. And ironically, when I was reading Genesis of Gender by Abigail Favali, that's where I really started to kind of pull out and, and notice because some of the stuff that she was describing, I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, she actually talks about um, her relationship with her postpartum body and the way that she described it. I was like, that's me during pregnancy anyway, but it just, you know, this idea that your body, you, you know, the woman's body is bad. That's how we're, that's our starting point with purity culture. And then everything that we do beyond that, the way we dress, the reasons why we dress the way we dress and think about all of these different things comes from that place of the body is, is bad. It's a temptation for men. And, you know, we debunked that in the first episode, but it's there and it's insidious and it's like, you know, it absolutely has at times, not dramatically, but affected my relationship with my husband, like I can feel like self-conscious and then I don't want I don't feel as open with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um and it can hit at different times. And the weird thing about it is it doesn't matter that he reassures me that he finds me beautiful. It's not about how he sees me, it's about how I see myself. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, that's a very interesting thing to
1: realize too, yeah. that it's about how you see yourself. That's why, yeah. like, it's, it's great that he can reassure you, but it's also something yeah. that like, you're always working on.
0: Yeah.
1: And something else I've heard of too, like if that, that I think this could play out is I know when women have really big breasts and this can be just regular or just with pregnancy, Mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, if you don't wear a turtleneck, something might show, like, I know mm-hmm. it's hard for women to find tops that really cover them completely. Yeah. And that's not like, that's okay. Like it's, it's not intentional. Yeah. It's not, like, you don't have to wear turtlenecks all the time. That right. is not you trying to expose yourself. That's just like, that is just the effect of your breasts have grown and that's how God made you and if there's a baby in your belly like this is how God made a woman's body to grow. <gasps> Wait, we were joking. The other like a few weeks ago about like images of the blessed mother when she's oh pregnant
0: <laughs> and how they're completely unrealistic and how Yes, funny because I pulled up because this all was like, we were having this conversation because I am that woman who has larger breasts, who is very self-conscious about how she dresses for that reason. And I was thinking like, oh man, I'd love to like, you know, go to the blessed mother to kind of have a more holistic appreciation of the way my body is made. But in every single depiction, she is either flat chested or there was this weird and this was the article i sent you there was this weird phase in the red like renaissance art decided to depict the the blessed mother breastfeeding jesus and i swear not a single artist had ever seen a breast before because the way that like go look this up we might have to include this article in the show notes (laughs) I don't know. We'll see, but it, it's just, it's absolutely hysterical. Like they're not like the boobs are like not in the right place. They're like, just like not a normal natural shape, you know, it just, it was just kind of like this very stylized. But yeah, who like, and it's, I think the thing that I sent you, it was like 30 different images yeah. of the blessed mother breastfeeding Jesus and yeah, none of them got the boots All right. different
1: degrees of inaccurate. So just oh kind of all over the place. It was just like, was,
0: what was this person thinking? Like, I know.
1: I don't know why it's so hard, but it's just the way God made you is good. Period. Like whether you're yeah. pregnant or not, the way God made your body is good. End of story. So Yep.
0: I know. It's like, and and here was, you know, I'll get I'll get really vulnerable with this. And this was something that I shared with you when we were talking about this, that when I was younger. I used to fantasize, fantasize about the day that I would be done having kids so that I could go get a breast reduction.
1: Yeah. That shows that like, this was very much on your mind Yeah, and not in a good positive way that again, this is just how God made you. And it's nothing that you need to say you're sorry for.
0: It's nothing
1: that you have to feel bad about. But like, yeah, I think we have some work to do in that, you know, especially as as Catholics, as Christians, when we raise our daughters to
0: just teach them about the goodness of their body, no matter what it looks like. Right. And it's, you know, uh, you can kind of think about this. Like I, um, I think there's like a a good allegory here that we can teach both the goodness, you know, the both and here, like the goodness of the body. And we live in a fallen world and in a fallen world, here's what, (laughs) You do have to put some scraps of fabric. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, unless you're a nudist, God bless you. <laughs> but I, 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 this just popped in my head thinking about the way that we think about nutrition. I follow a lot of, um, nutritionists who specialize in like feeding toddlers cause and feeding little kids cause they're notoriously picky and all this type of stuff. And one of these people that I've found, the way that she talks about food is excellent. You know, like we were kind of raised like, Oh, carbs are bad. And, you know, diet culture kind of casts some foods as good and some foods as bad. And she's like, no, all food is good. However, different foods do different things in your body. And it's important to understand how these foods work so that you eat the right amount of them in the proper proportion. And I was like, bingo. So if we can have an approach like that to how we think about the way our body is made and the way we dress it and so forth, that is like, there's not really good or bad when it comes to clothes. It's it's what is right for you because we have all these different body types. Mm -hmm. There's different cultures, right? There's different you know, there's a huge difference in the way that people dress between the United States and Brazil and China and Italy and, you know, everything in between. Right. And so having just kind of a, I don't know, just a more like, this is all good. However, it's good in different amounts or I don't know, I haven't teased this out completely, but I just liked the way that she approached food. So like, for example, she's like, You know, candy's not good or bad. It's just, it has sugar and it only does one thing in your body and that's it. And when you know that it's like, okay, so I can have some candy, but I shouldn't have too much because too much sugar does X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is just brilliant. It takes a lot of the pressure off thinking of it
1: like that. It just sounds very practical to me. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like, there's not good food and bad food. It's all good food. It just all does different things. And I know the analogy, like when you talk about clothing, I think that it doesn't completely translate, but just kind of a much more holistic way of approaching this in general is better. And of course, it doesn't help. I don't know if I should bring this up because this is really deep Catholic insider baseball. Like, oh gosh, deep.
1: I have no idea Um, what you're going to say.
0: Um, so a lot of the pushback that you'll hear about clothing from the Catholic side of things. Um, and this is where we do get very purity culture. Okay. Let's just call it out for what it is that our lady of Fatima during her apparitions said that there were fashions that were like a- offensive to our Lord. That's what she said. She didn't say she, there was no specifics about which ones, So clearly she was
1: talking about skinny jeans and shorts. I'm being sarcastic. Exactly.
0: So that's what, that's, what's happened is that a lot of Catholics have taken that and said, oh, well, here's the fashions that she's talking about. And here's the, like, it's obvious. These are the fashions that she is talking about. And I'm like, she didn't specify. So I'm not going to put words in her mouth. I'm not going to doubt what she said, but also I'm not going to put words in her mouth. Um, and they kind of the mistake that they make is they say, Well, look at how Mary dressed. And I'm like, Mary was a woman from the first century Middle East. Look at how the Vikings dressed. They were and and she she dressed as was appropriate for the time and the place from which she came. Yeah. And that's not appropriate for the time and place from which we come you know? And it's like, we don't dress as first century, Middle Eastern women. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: here's yeah. the thing. Here's the way I look at it. Like there are, it, we're all, I say this all the time and I'm going to keep saying it all the time. Cause we're unique. We're all yeah. like, God has made only one of us. We have our own styles. We have our own body types. Like, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a very good yeah. thing. And like, I'm going to connect more to certain people and some a factor of that can be how they dress like I'm just not going to be able to relate fully to people who like I don't know not just dress a certain way I'm not trying to minimize somebody to the way they dress but just like if we're really trying to reach the body of Christ we need to have a lot of different personalities and styles and like the way we talk and the words that we use and the music that we listen to we have to have that variety Like Mm -hmm. it's not, this is how God made us because we're supposed to reach out and connect with people who all all kinds of people, you know, that's the way Mm -hmm. I think of it. And it's just, if everybody, every Catholic dressed the same, like if every woman wore the same prairie dress, well, we're going to be missing out on a lot of people that need us.
0: Right. So, and it's also, you know it's a it's a point where and this goes back to the fall but also like I'm thinking of like Tower of Babel right that our differences become a point of division instead of unity right whereas before the fall our differences were a point of like a a point of unity after the fall they're a point of division and it's Mm. like no, like this was, we're all, yeah, like you said, we're all made different. And, you know, we could, we could go off and be like, well, how boring would it be if we were all the same? Like, yeah, okay. That's, that's been said. Um, Let's go a little deeper though. Like let's actually think about, yeah, think about those differences as, as a good thing. And instead of thinking about body types and clothing as this prescriptive legalistic thing, how can it be individualized to our, to our dignity. Right. Um, still like expressive of who we are, which includes just our basic human dignity. So Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, should we move on to the, did you have more stories about purity culture for you or did I just drop the juicy bomb? What juicy bomb? I'm confused. Purity balls. <laughs> purity oh, balls. purity balls. I certainly
1: didn't have any purity balls. No, uh, mm-hmm. like I like I said in the um, purity culture episode, I only just recently learned what, that purity culture is a thing. Because when I first mm-hmm. heard, I think it was probably you talking about it. And I was just like, well, purity is a good thing. Culture is a good thing. What is <laughs> I don't know what's, what's it's wrong, wrong with this and Two um it can't be a bad thing yeah okay what is, yeah. but now I understand it's it's referring to like a certain ideology like we talked about
0: yeah. but
1: no I when I realized the effect I was never I never really got the whole like you know men against women or like need to satisfy man the man's needs like that type of thing I was I got a heavy dose of we just don't have sex till we're married. Yeah. Like we just don't and never got the full explanation of why, or like the goodness of sex or the goodness of my body. I like mm-hmm. that just, it just wasn't discussed. And then it was like marriage. No, I'm not saying these things were all said directly. It's just, this was the message that was delivered. It's just like marriage is this finish line. So you get married, you get married and then you're free. Go just do it. Just go yeah. do it all just yeah. whatever there was no like I understood that chastity is good but I never understood it as a virtue that you grow in that you can always mm-hmm. it was just chastity was you don't have sex until you're married yeah. and like I heard that you can be you should be chaste in your marriage but I had no idea what it meant it was just like yeah. just be chaste in your marriage what does yeah, that mean just- so like there was none of this uh, like uh, there was not it was nothing of like growing in love and again like virtue and like not that I didn't know marriage took work but there was just it was just you are married so you can have sex no there is that love first there's like seeing the other person growing in intimacy and in all these other ways it's just there was so much more than that and so yeah you know I just. To me, it was just this thing you don't do. And so I internalized that really in a big way. And when we got married, our wedding night, I was just, it was just like, I think like a lot of probably Christians or Catholics experience, it was just like, you know, what? How do you flip that switch? How do you flip that switch? And I, Yeah. And I I haven't really, I haven't shared this yet, but I, I, I was not too long ago diagnosed with vaginismus and, you know, there, I think that what I'm learning is that there, there can be like Emily explained, a lot of, you know, a few different things that can cause that. And there are, there is a spectrum of Mm vaginismus. It's Mm -hmm. uh, what, what my pelvic floor physical therapist explained to me recently is that like some people just have this mental component where it's just a matter of relaxing the pelvic floor, but there's also those superficial tissues that can be tight or cannot be tight. So like when we're talking about painful intercourse, by the way, I never mentioned that, there, there's a, there's a spectrum and there's a few, there's different things that can cause it. And I just happen to have a lot, I have all of those factors. Like mm-hmm. I had severe endometriosis, severe cramps, you know, this effect of purity culture. And it probably is a combination of, yeah. of various, but, but this is a real life example of how this can really affect women. And I, it has, greatly affected my life without going into too much detail now because that needs its own episode but let me me? let me just tell you this is no small thing to deal with so we have to get this right we have to do this Mm -hmm. better for our for our daughters and for marriages and our sons sons.
0: sons. yes absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely teach our sons like to you know be lovers and you know I think I I think you know part of this is a generational thing as well I think yes definitely purity culture I think it's also generational like we just didn't you know it's not that I didn't see my parents love each other it's just like they weren't like super affectionate you know it wasn't I mean like you know they would give each other a kiss when they came home when my dad came home and a hug and all that type of stuff but like you know beyond that there was not I don't know there was there was a, um, a greater degree of privacy and I think there, we're starting to see this shift with our generation. And, you know, if you think it's good or bad, you know, hold on to your opinion. Um, but I think we're starting to see the shift that in order to help our kids understand the goodness of their bodies, the goodness of marriage, the goodness of sex, we have to model that. Now, obviously, like, we don't want them walking in when we're having sex, but like... Right. <laughs> that's not what I'm about to say. Um, but showing that affection outside of the bedroom, showing that, you know, you enjoy each other's company showing, um, teaching your kids appropriate anatomical terminology, Mm -hmm. teaching your kids bodily autonomy, teaching your kids the goodness from a young age, (laughs) my my five-year-old daughter. She's so funny. She, um, she started to confuse the word peanut and penis and, um, So every now and then, um, she'll ask me to make her a penis butter sandwich. Oh and <laughs> <my God. laughs> how do you not just
1: crack up laughing at that? It,
0: I, I, oh, I, I,
1: crack absolutely up do. It's,
0: yeah. It's hysterical. Um, and I remember having a conversation with her one day where she decided that, you know, her little brother, Thomas, he has a vagina and, and she goes, and I have a penis, mm. and mommy, you have a vagina, and daddy has a penis, and I got, I was like, yeah, two out of four. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was just being silly and just, you know, no concept of of what exactly she's saying, but she's understanding that there are like differences and all this type of stuff, and it's not treated as this taboo subject. And, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, we teach privacy, like, yes. you know. Um, we're trying to, uh, like whenever I come upstairs to take a shower, you know, I make sure to lock my bedroom door and my son freaks out cause mom's disappeared. Right, it, right. But I'm like, I need my privacy. I'm going to take a shower. I need my, my privacy. So that, you know, walking that balance between these are your parts and they're good. And then showing them and modeling them. Like when I go take a shower, I have my privacy and we try to also cultivate privacy for our kids and, mm-hmm. Um, Like, for example, we've had, like when we had my parents or, you know, either set of their grandparents in town, like I don't let them wander around the house naked after a bath. Hmm. Not because I'm worried about my parents or my husband's parents doing anything, but it's that knowledge that sexual abuse is most likely to happen with somebody that you trust Mm -hmm. because you're likely to leave your kid alone with them. And so it's more about teaching my kids we don't go running around naked, you know, around anybody. Yeah. And, and then that, you know, those types of things. And that's something that I think you really miss in a lot of the purity culture conversations for sure, because these are treated as taboo things. Like, like you experience, you don't talk about sex. We just don't talk about it. It's just bad until marriage. And then it's good. Why? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why? What made, what suddenly made it good? A ring? Okay. Right. Um, Got one of those in my engagement. Um, why is that not? Right. You know, I mean, so give me something a little bit more concrete than that. And I think the message that we had, that every uh, pretty much everybody in our generation had, and this is just kind of how it was done, it was a negative message. It was not a positive message. It was don't do this, but we're not going to tell you why, because we don't want you to be curious because then you're going to do it. Mm -hmm, Whereas now we're realizing, no, if we give this positive message your body is good. Sex is good. Your fertility is good, right? If we start to give these positive messages, then that actually gives people the ability to make better decisions. And whereas the negative message, negative message means that you're acting most of the time out of fear. The positive message gives you the opportunity to act out of love, Mm -hmm. you know, to develop a, a healthy authentic love of yourself. And then to also expect that from other people, you know, I think that when we don't love ourselves well, we don't expect to be loved by others well. And so, yes, that does affect who we choose to have relationships with and and so on. And and it has that that trickle down effect. And that was entirely absent for me. I think that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents
1: They're just so scared their kids are going to have sex. They put that fear into their child and it translates (laughs) in really unhealthy ways. So I was only, and they're like, so don't have sex before you're married. This was the impression Mm -hmm. I got and not a lot of conversation. I didn't see the struggle. Like I didn't see my parents struggle. They didn't talk about Mm -hmm. how they struggle with different things or struggled with NFP or like, it was just like, they were never tempted. Like- It was Same. just, we just did this and it was good. And then, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting. What was the other thing? Um, oh, it the, the conversation wasn't open. So I did not have the freedom to ask questions when yeah. I struggled with sin. You know, sin, I, I didn't, it wasn't sex itself, but they didn't have conversations with me about the other stuff. And so I knew that this stuff was wrong, but in my brain, there was just this disconnect. So like I struggled with the other stuff, but there wasn't the safety and the freedom to talk about that. Cause there was that shame and judgment around it. Well, I was, I was human. I just didn't have the tools. So there was a lot of shame that I had on myself that caused other problems. So, and I really love what you're talking about, healthy, physical affection. Like we need that to be modeled for us. We need a model, healthy, normal, physical affection in a, in a loving relationship, a marriage for our children. And I think something else that tends to be missed is, well, I think it, it could go either way, but just delighting in our daughters yes. and telling them they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that goes a long way. You, you don't want them to be the first time they're hearing this from the guy, from the guys that they're going to meet in school. They Mm -hmm. need to be so full of like, oh, my parents delight me so much as a little girl. Like, it's not so. It's not going to be a big deal when they hear it. That was a big thing for me. I have I have wonderful parents. I love very much. They just they did like they did a good job with the information that they had. I'm I'm not trying to you know say anything else, but it's just you know we we can learn a lot from the Mm -hmm. things that we recognize as we grow up, and
0: yeah, that's a good thing. I think every generation, you know, we're we're learning more. And so we're able to do more because we have we have more information. We have more cards in our deck. But yeah, this is I, I think purity culture was as when we talked about this and and contraceptive mentality as well, pro, well, providentialism. It's providentialism. Mm-hmm. Contraceptive mentality is what they it's the accusation they hurl. Providentialism right. is the ideology. But they're all pendulum swings, right? So purity culture is this pendulum swing away from hedonism. So it's sex is everywhere. So we need to protect our kids and safeguard our kids. So in our home, sex will be nowhere. It's like, no, 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 no. Actually the antidote to hedonism that you see in the secular culture that you're rebelling against is to model healthy sexuality to like everything that we're talking to give the positive message. To teach your body is good. That's actually the antidote. So it's this pendulum swing away and you commit like the same, you see the same problems on both ends of the spectrum. And again, the truth is in the middle. And then with providentialism, they're reacting to the prevalence of contraception. And it really bothers them that, you know, people get into marriage and they're like, we don't want to have kids and all this type of stuff. So they pendulum swing to the other side and say, well, unless you're trying to have children all the time, you're sinning It's like, well, no, the truth is in the middle that there are valid reasons to avoid a pregnancy. And, you know, and it, it there is not an absolute list of what are and what aren't the right reasons to do so that ultimately going to back to what you've been talking about, about individuality and uniqueness, that every single married couple is going to respond to how they steward their vineyard in a unique way. Right. And, and that's what I, when I talk, when I think about discernment, I like to think about stewardship that we have, that our marriage, that our life, there's this, I hate kind of using this phrase, but a sphere of influence. There's, there's a, there's an area around which we are given not mastery. What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, my pregnancy (laughs) brain. We have a certain area that is within our responsibility to take care of. Those are not the words I'm looking for, but they will have to suffice. Um, (laughs) anyway, that's, that's what we're talking about. So you have, you know, this contraceptive idea where you know children are the enemy, but then you have this other idea where it's like unless you're having children, you're bad. It's like, well, no, no, neither one of those things are true.
1: It's fair on both then, ends on the
0: of the spectrum. Yes, yes, on both ends, it, and it 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 it, and this is what we we're talking about in the past couple of episodes and I guess we're kind of teasing it out a little bit more now, is that when you have these types of approach, types of approaches, you are making it ultimately impossible to love. Because it's not a choice.
1: It's not a choice somebody else is making for you.
0: It's fear-based. It's, you know, God's creation, which is me, is bad, and I need to you know, apologize for it instead of this positive message, right. Going back to the very beginning from like Jesus loved from the beginning. It was not so, so going back to how was it in the beginning? Bodies were good. Sexuality was good. You know, having children was good, but I've always noticed Adam and Eve didn't have kids until after the fall just saying, <laughs> just saying. Uh, and I think they only had three. If I recall I correctly, know. I only recall mm-hmm. three children and like, they lived to like what? 900 had died at like 900 and he had three kids. Like that's a providential that's problem. A right yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the problem. <laughs> like, he was not holy. Uh, he, he was not do well. I mean, it's <laughs> Adam, he was the, you know, the first guy to really Screw the pooch. But anyway, <laughs> I had to drop a joke in here somewhere. i serious. Anyway. Good enough, yeah. I know. Um, but yeah, I, it, contraceptive mentality, you know, you, your providentialism, you and I haven't really had personal experience with how that ideology has shaped our life. Actually, yes, we have. What am I thinking? You have. The idea that in order to be Catholic, a good Catholic married person, you have babies. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh yeah. It impacted me in a huge way.
0: Yeah. That really
1: flew under the radar. That's why, like, again, Mm -hmm. we use these extreme examples, but the reason, one of the reasons I, I mean, I want to have this conversation at least is that a lot of it is not obvious so much. And so just to check, kind of check ourselves, what's the language that we use. I mean, it always comes down to the two primary purposes, unity and procreation. And procreation is more than just having babies, being fruitful, you know? So um, really understanding those two things, that's the easiest check yourself, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I know in our conversations talking about this, everybody's like, well, you can't really lump infertility into this because it, you know, it's not really like we've heard you and I have both heard when this conversation comes up that, you know, infertility is like, Oh, that's not part of this conversation. Like, of course it's like, actually, yes, it is. Yes. it is, Because one in eight women deal with infertility and, you know, and children can't
1: be the best fruitful thing for one couple and not for another. Like it's either the, you're either making it a primary purpose for everybody or nobody. It's not
0: right. Because what happens is, is that if, if, procreation if children are the the sole primary purpose of marriage this is the whole point then you could argue that infertility would be grounds for annulment
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and it's not because children do not validate a marriage
1: a marriage and i just i don't see these same people talking about spiritual motherhood and being fruitful and loving your children well and raising your children well that's the issue another issue for me is that it's just like just have the babies don't worry about how healthy they are don't worry about you know how good your how healthy your marriage is how how mentally healthy you are
0: yeah it's without those things it's this idea that if you have all the babies everything else will fall in line and it's like No, (laughs) that's not, it's not real life. No, it's, that's not how it works that if, and that's, that's the providentialist that if you have all the babies, God will provide. And my kickback to that is just always, God doesn't fix stupid, (laughs) which is not a very kind thing to say.
1: One way to put it, I guess.
0: But you know, it just, if, if you are going to willfully not use your gift of reason, God's like, well, I'm not going to force you. It's uncomfortable in the middle
1: place. It's uncomfortable yeah. in the balance. Like it's uncomfortable yeah. to sit down with your kids and have a full conversation with yeah. them about what they just saw on TV, rather than just changing the channel really quick and moving on be like, you didn't see that. You didn't see that go to the other room. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's hard. And I know that because I have a six-year-old daughter now and like we're starting to have some conversations because she hears people talking at school or at camp and like, you know, the, it, but this is hard. It's hard to sit in the place mm-hmm. of discernment and really be uncomfortable, but yeah. that's what this requires this discomfort yep. in that discernment place. Like, especially if again, is my, is this idea to have a child, is it out of selflessness or is it out of selfishness or is it out of ignorance?
0: Yeah. Exactly. So sit with that. And I think, you know, I think that's really, you know, if I'm going to be diagnosing the issue here, I think that's really what is at the core of why purity culture and contra- and providentialism are so appealing is because you don't have to sit with the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can, the, the world is black and white. It's absolute. There's no gray. There is an absolute right and wrong. There is an absolute right and wrong, but there is also gray. There is also gray area. And yes, sitting in the gray area is not comfortable, but it's real life. It's the world we live in. And that's part of what we have to do. You know, um, I'm trying to think of like a story from if anybody has, has seen The Chosen, you know, I just, I, I put off watching it for so long my husband and I finally watched it during Lent and I pretty much owed, um, because you see, you see, like, it portrays Jesus in such a way that he does encounter the mess. He sticks his nose right in the middle of it and he was Jewish. So, you know, that was a nose. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I had to say it. I have Jewish ancestry, so it's so do fine. I? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um enough. yes, I have, yeah, there's there's a little bit of German and yes, it's on my dad's side and they all do have larger noses. I'm a Guggenheimer, him. so. Okay, <laughs> Guggenheimer. Good. Oh yeah, that's very German. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for those who do not know the geographic history of Louisiana, um Mary and I are both from Louisiana, and so it's like, wait a minute, Germans in Louisiana? What is this? So, if you look at a map of Louisiana, the toe of the boot, of Louisiana called the Florida Parishes used to be part of the Spanish colony of Florida, uh, except they didn't settle that far west. And so, at some point, there was a bunch of German and English settlers who were just like, "This place looks good. We're gonna settle down." The Spanish aren't here. The French aren't here. It's on the river, whatever. So, yeah, that's why there actually is I did a very not know large- that. And yeah. it was my great grandfather who
1: came over from Germany, so I'm not that far yeah. removed.
0: Yeah,
1: same here. Ha, yep. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Interesting. At that. interesting yeah. yeah. So that was
0: that's the, <laughs> the geographic history of Louisiana. But you were making
1: this excellent point of how the chosen, <laughs> how like how beautifully the chosen portrays Jesus. Like he really does. Like you, I mean, I agree. It's the first depiction of Jesus that he actually seems like a real person. That. <laughs> I really connect with that. I can picture this is this is actually how I can see Jesus
0: yeah. being. Raise your hands, everybody who's listening, who now, whenever you say your prayers, you imagine um, I forget his name, but the guy who praised you has been the chosen. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> like that's who you imagine oh, is Jesus now. <laughs> which is fine. Like we have all these different artistic depictions of Jesus yeah. and like, he's an actor, like movies, like shows or art forms, you know, whatever. I yeah. think it's fine. I've heard some people be like, I feel really uncomfortable. I'm like, Why? Cause he moves. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but no, I think, um, I think we can start to, to wrap up, put a little bow on everything. Yeah. These are, we certainly understand where these ideologies come from. Right? Um, but ultimately, we have to be honest about the fact that they're not true. And the reason why we know that they're not true is because we look at their fruit, right? They will be known by their fruit. Okay, Let's look at the fruit of purity culture. Let's look at the fruit of providentialism. That's good. And 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 what do we see? Do we see a flourishing? Do we see, no. We don't. We see fear. We see, we see fear. We see the human spirit being crushed. We see people being limited. We see God being limited. And I know a lot of providentialists are like, "Excuse me, NFP." Oh, ironic! I know. Um, loved, unloved, yeah. unloved, right? And that's yeah. With with both purity culture and providentialism, that is the most common thing that I see is that there is this fear of the world. There is this fear of, I don't want my children to get caught up in X, Y, and Z, which on the one hand is a very good, like, yeah, you're their parent. You're supposed to keep them safe. That's your job. That's one of your jobs. Um, but that safety can't come at the expense of their flourishing and their curiosity and the knowledge of their own goodness irrespective of whatever happens to them or whatever happens around them, that no matter what our kids are good. And I think that's what, what we're missing. I understand that that's what we're, what is being strived for, but it's just not hitting, it's not hitting the mark. It's not doing it, you know? And this is why, you know, I said early in one of the episodes, and I feel like I didn't really justify it very well that, you know, these ideologies lead to use and abuse and ultimately, it's because they are formed out of fear. There's an us in them to these ideologies. And when you create that, you're creating a division. Now, yes, okay, there's a division. You know, Christ is like, I came to divide or whatever. I came to separate the sheep from the goats. I get it. but That's Jesus's job. That's not ours. I ain't uh, separating sheep and goats. <laughs> They stink, (laughs) you know, and it doesn't mean that we can't have discernment in, in what we expose our children to and when and why and all these types of things, but just the motivation cannot be fear. It can't be fear. It has to, it can't be negative. It has to be positive. It can't just be, don't do this. It has to also be, do this, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, be this, right? That our existence is more than just thou shalt not, you know, Jesus came and he gave us the Beatitudes, right? Like the commandments was a bunch of thou shalt not, but Jesus came and he said, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, right? We don't have a negative faith, yes, don't sin, but how do you not sin? Focus on virtue, right? You don't focus on the sin because, you know, if you hyper-focus on something, like that's going to be what you do. But if you focus on the opposite virtue and trying to grow in that, that's how you get rid of the sin, right? Um, And don't be afraid
1: to sit with the discomfort. I mean, growth and virtue, that's hard. That's uncomfortable to take that time, you know, have the hard conversations to sit with yourself and really discern what is, what is motivating my heart right now?
0: That's uncomfortable. And I'll just tell you that Mary and I have both over the past, what year been doing a lot of our own personal sitting with very uncomfortable things, Yeah, uncovering very, very uncomfortable things. Um, so we don't prescribe this from a place of like, yeah, you do it. This is what you got to do. It's like, no, 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 do it. And also we know it sucks Mm -hmm. and it takes time and it takes time. And I know whenever we're talking about moral stuff, people think like, oh, I have to, I have to be absolutely perfect tomorrow. No, you don't. (laughs) You're not going to be, you know why? Because it took you however many years of your life to be the screw up that you are today. (laughs) going to take you a few days or months or years, probably years to, to grow in, in virtue. And I guess, you know, it's kind of feels like an odd place, but maybe a good place to leave this for anybody who has read. Oh, crud. Now I'm not going to remember if it's searching for and maintaining peace or interior freedom by Jacques, father, Jacques Philippe. Um, I'm just drop I, it
1: in the show notes later. We can
0: okay. drop it in the show notes um, or I can just drop those two titles and make you read them both and front Oh, <laughs> snaking. Oh, darn. Um, but it, it always used to bother me when Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That, that is like the one thing that I was just like, okay, Jesus, no, 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 no. no. Look, I know that with, with you, I can do anything. But being perfect like you is literally the one thing I can't do. No matter what, even with your help, (laughs) I will still be a sinner. So what the heck am I supposed to do with this? That always bothered me. And Father Jean Philippe, he had the best way of explaining it. He says, but who is the most perfect in scripture? It's the one who loves. And I was like, oh, okay, now that Mm -hmm. I can do. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Amen. Like, like that I mean it's that's something that's that I absolutely struggle with but that gives me something that I could actually work on that's not just utterly hopeless it's growing in love and and when I say love I mean authentic love like we were talking about with Christina but willing and, and when she quoted Thomas Aquinas and willing the good of the other and also willing the good of myself. That's
1: what I was going to say. Don't forget to love yourself.
0: Right. And you know, you're designed, right. And you can't separate those loves. Yeah. You can't separate love of God, love of neighbor, love of self without making yourself a liar. If I hate any one of those, I can't love the other ones. If I hate myself, I can't love my neighbor. I can't love God. How can I love God? I hate something he loves. Right. 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 How can I love my neighbor? Because I don't even know how to love myself. I'm carrying my own woundedness over my lack of being able to love myself. So how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Right. And so all those things have to, have to coexist, but yeah. So be perfect. But perfection is the perfection you're seeking is love. It's not like literal perfection. It's not never making a mistake. It's not never doing anything wrong. It's not you know, trying to do the right thing and and swinging the pendulum for the right reason, um, but still having a devastating outcome, uh, <laughs> like that's that's a mistake you can come back from. You know, yeah. say you do swing the pendulum one way or the other. Yeah. So choose choose something different tomorrow. Yeah. Like, like we're not. That's ultimately with providentialism and purity culture. They're ultimately and to me when I, like the more I dig into them, I'm like, ultimately they're hopeless ideologies. There's no hope of change. It's just, this is what is, and this is how you have to go. It's absolute. It's finite. And I'm like, that's just not what we were made for. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's a perfect way to tie a pretty bow on this. Okay. Yeah. And like Emily said, we are absolutely challenged by everything that we're saying just like we're sending challenges out there we're being challenged by all of these things as well so we're so grateful y'all are here please please do us a favor and scroll down on the app that you're listening to and give us a review leave us a rating emily and i are so grateful for you thank you for being here and we can't wait to be back with you again with a fresh new spicy episode about something else Mm -hmm. (laughs) y'all take care Mm Thanks for listening to our conversation if you enjoy the intersect would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review you can also find us on instagram facebook and youtube
0: browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement We're so glad you hung out with us today,
1: and we can't wait till next time.